Hello there everyone, Rick Cole here and I'd like to welcome you to episode number 87 of the 50 Years Ago in Hockey Podcast. Each week, right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, we take a trip back in time down memory lane to bring you all the hockey news from 50 years ago exactly as it was reported at that time, reported by some of the greatest sports writers of all time. In this episode, we're looking at the week of June 21st to 27th, 1971. With the NBA playoffs in full swing, now you want to go to get to DraftKings to get to take advantage of the great offers they have for you out there now. This is where you can get some skin in the game. DraftKings is offering free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering players a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes. That's up to $10,000 in total prizes up for grabs every single day. And the best part is it's all free to play. DraftKings free to play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions about what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games. Then track your results throughout the evenings. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe secure and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN, that's THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network, when you sign up to get your free shot at $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball and hockey playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cast prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only, only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. Now, if you like what we do here each week on the podcast and every day during the hockey season on Twitter, you can help us out by going to patreon.com slash hockey 50 years to subscribe. Subscribers not only get early access to each week's free podcast, but we have some really neat stuff uh coming up and in the special content that we've been giving our uh, subscribers all year. Uh, This gives us an opportunity to delve far deeply into a lot of the issues that were uh, dominating the news in the hockey world 50 years ago and we get a chance to tell the stories uh, a little more fully than we get to do in each week's free podcast. That's patreon.com slash hockey 50 years to subscribe. And I almost forgot we have two other sponsors besides DraftKings. We have the Breakwall Brewing Company, downtown Port Coburn, Ontario. Their patio is open for business now and they make some of the best draft uh, beers in the uh, southern Ontario area. We're also sponsored by newspapers.com and they enable us to do all the research to get the great content that we get to you every week. So summer is now in full swing around North America, but you know what? We managed to find some hockey news this week. Because of the lack of the volume at this time of the year, we get a chance to to, uh, 
Tuesday, take a bit of a deeper dive in some of the bigger stories of the week. But first of all, uh, we're going to get to the uh, news items, the quick items that were reported on this week. First up, and this is a byline from the uh, Canadian press out of London, Ontario. Hockey Canada is soliciting $600,000 from private enterprise to help finance a program of education and technical improvements among players and coaches at the amateur level in Canada. That The uh, program was announced by the president of Hockey Canada, Charles Hay. He told businessmen at a luncheon in London, actually last week, but it didn't get out till today, Monday, that Edmonton, Calgary, and Saskatoon are going to be used as pilot projects for a series of skill tests. These tests would be for boys 12 and under early in October this year and late next season as well. The tests will be conducted in the hopes of establishing a norm for technical ability among minor players and very importantly, among the coaches. Hay said that subsequent to the tests themselves, the organization will distribute literature with tips on the game to help both parties improve further on their own. An estimated $100,000 of the money raised will go towards scholarships and bursaries at Canadian community colleges for 70 to 80 hockey playing students next fall. Another phase of the program will be to extend Hockey Canada's university tournament into six cities to accommodate 24 teams altogether. The final aspect of the program will be to compile literature containing high-level technical information for both players and coaches. Now, you got to like the way the American Hockey League does business, and I'm not being sarcastic at all on this one. Every year, the American Hockey League has their annual summer meetings after the NHL meetings. And you know where they have their meetings? Freeport in the Bahamas, and that's where they were this week. And there was some news that came out of the AHL. First up, uh, the American Hockey League's uh, newer team, one of the new teams, Boston Braves, they're getting great local support. They've sold, to this point, over 7,000 season tickets for their 1971-72 season. All of their home games will be played at the Boston Garden, usually when the Bruins are on the road. Another new team that will take to the ice this fall in the American Hockey League will be the Cincinnati Swords. That franchise was awarded to the NHL Buffalo Sabres. Now, you remember when the Sabres came into the league a year ago, the Bisons AHL franchise was basically made to be dormant. It was kept... Uh, well, sort of on life support, but wasn't active. The Sabres decided this offseason they want to have an American Hockey League farm team again, and they tried to get a team in Dania, Florida, which is right next to Fort Lauderdale. The AHL Board of Governors would not approve that uh, plan, but they did uh, allow the Sabres to put the team in Cincinnati for this season. They'll be called the Swords, as we mentioned, and it's expected that Joe Crozier, Punch Him Lack's old buddy, will run the team as general manager and coach. 
you may know Terry Reardon. He is the tireless general manager coach of the Baltimore Clippers in the American Hockey League. Well, this week at those AHL meetings, Terry was awarded the the trophy as the coach of the year in the American Hockey League last season. Uh, Reardon guided the Clippers to the Western Division title, and uh, he was earlier named their coach of the year by the Hockey News. The award to Reardon, voted by the league's Board of Governors, continues the trend that has found Baltimore hockey people getting postseason awards. In case you're wondering about that, Freddie Speck, who was selected in the recent interleague draft by the Vancouver Canucks, he was named the AHL Rookie of the Year, and uh, Clipper teammates Andy Brown and Mark, Mark Dufour were named to the AHL All-Star team as well. Mark Dufour is a forward. Andy Brown, of course, one of the last maskless goalies in professional hockey. Some more American Hockey League awards. The James Ellery Memorial Award is given in memory of the former American Hockey League publicity director, and that went to Tiny Perry of the Lebanon, Pennsylvania Daily News as the man who has done the most to enhance the image of the American Hockey League. The Executive of the Year Award, which is the James Hendy Memorial Award. James Hendy was the great owner of the Cleveland Barons in the 1950s. Nearly got that franchise into the NHL back in 54, by the way. Well, that Executive of the Year Award went to (laughs) AHL President Jack Butterfield, whose tireless efforts expanded the AHL AHL from eight cities now being 11 with another city coming along a year from now in 1972. We should give you a bit of an update on the league's alignment as well. Uh, The new alignment shows Baltimore Hershey, Cleveland, Tidewater, Richmond, and Cincinnati in the Western Division. In the East, it's Nova Scotia, the new Boston team, Providence, Springfield, and Rochester. Again, those are in the East. The schedule next year will have 76 games with the Western rivals playing each other eight times and meeting Easter foes in six games. The city of St. Catharines declared Wednesday of this past week Stan Makita Day. Many of the biggest names in hockey gathered in St. Catharines to attend a Stan Makita testimonial dinner organized by a group of the Chicago Blackhawks Center's friends. Stan, as you know, played his junior hockey in St. Catharines after emigrating from Czechoslovakia in the 1950s, and he considers himself a St. Catharines native. The list of uh, players who attended the uh, dinner were National Hockey League President Clarence Campbell, President Walter Bush of the North Stars, General Managers Tommy Ivan of Chicago, Punch Imlac of Buffalo, Ned Harkness of Detroit, Jack Riley of Pittsburgh, former NHL referee Red Story, and Rudy Pillis, who of course coached Stash when he played for the St. Catharines Teepees. The day was declared by St. Catharines Mayor Mac Chown and proceeds from the $20 a plate dinner will go to a bursary fund set up in Makita's name at nearby Brock University. It's sounding like a young defenseman for the North Stars, Freddie Barrett, is going to be back good as ever at training camp this fall. At least that's according to Coach Jackie Gordon. 
Jackie said, Fred, uh, he broke his leg last season, and that's why there was some doubt he may even be back this year. He said, Fred was in Minneapolis recently, and he's making such good progress that he took some skates with him back home to Canada to get on some summer ice back there. Fred's working hard under a therapist in Toronto in whom he has a lot of confidence, and Barrett plans to be ready to skate when training camp opens in September, and that's good news for North Stars fans. You remember last week we touched on the financial mess that is the Vancouver Canucks and the possibility of fraud charges and all kinds of other difficulties. Well, we had some interesting news out of Vancouver this week. Not a lot of news about this uh, financial problem, but trading in shares of Northwest Sports Enterprises, who are the parent company of the Canucks of the NHL, trading of those shares resumed on the stock exchange with the price rising a dollar twenty-five to seven seventy-five a share. Shares were trading at six fifty on June eleventh when the exchange halted trading after the four Canadian directors of the company said they were resigning because of $3.5 million in Northwest funds that were transferred to the United States by Medicor, who is, of course, the major shareholder in Northwest sports. So stocks are up, but the problem with who actually is going to end up owning the Canucks, that as yet had not been decided. When we're doing off-season hockey news, of course, it's off-ice news, and, and a lot of it ends up, unfortunately, being legal news. Well, we have uh, an, uh, an Eastern Ontario judge who landed himself in some hot water, and uh, what makes this relevant to what we do here is he had a very prominent hockey buddy with him as a so a sort of a partner in crime here. Renfrew County Judge Frank Dunlop uh, has pleaded not guilty to a reduced charge of obstructing a police officer. That's right. Hull, Quebec Crown Attorney Charles Letelier de Saint-Just was said Monday afternoon that Judge Dunlap had appeared before Judge Arthur LeBay at the end of last week and was remanded out of custody to September 17th for a hearing. He was released on his own recognizance. If he can't release a judge on his own recognizance, who could you release? Judge Dunlap was charged on June 6th after Larry Regan, general manager of the LA Kings of the National Hockey League, was arrested for dangerous driving near Casabarbuza, about 45 miles north of Ottawa. Mr. Regan pleaded not guilty to the charge in Hull Court last Thursday and was remanded to September 3rd to set a date for hearing. He was released on $50 bail. Now here's what uh, dumped the judge into the hot water. Judge Dunlap was a passenger in the car being driven by Larry Regan and he was charged when the driver was being booked by the Quebec Provincial Police at Lowe. 
a bench warrant for the arrest of Judge Dunlap had been issued when he failed to appear in court, but the Crown did not press the matter. In fact, they were told that the judge was actually hearing cases, and that's why he didn't appear in court for his own case. Now, it is known that uh, near the end of the week, the Crown announced that they had also reduced the original charge from common assault on the grounds of insufficient evidence, said the Crown attorney. Former Canadian national team goalie Ken Broderick, 29, has signed on with the Western Hockey League San Diego Gulls. Now, Ken had retired from hockey last season, but he got the itch to play again, and uh, he contacted the Gulls, and Max McNabb was happy to have the 29-year-old left-handed goalie sign on with the Gulls. Many years later, I would meet Ken Dryden, uh, thanks to our, our mutual friendship with Marcel Dion, and Ken was a wonderful man, a very, very good guy, and I'm very proud to have known him and to have called him a friend. Henry Richard says that the post coach Al McNeil was not as bad as portrayed by the media, well actually as reported by the media as portrayed by some of his players, most vocal of whom was Henry Richard. After being benched in the fifth game of the final series, for which he vehemently criticized Coach McNeil, Richard scored the tying and winning goals in, in Montreal's final game victory. McNeil was let go of coach two weeks ago, and Richard said, I guess I must get an assist for that. That doesn't sound like he's giving any bouquets out there to Al right now. However, the 35-year-old Richard insisted that McNeil was not as bad a coach as his words had indicated. Richard said, I thought he was pretty good coach, but he needed a little more experience. Richard went on to say that maybe McNeil moved a little slow, slowly in changing lines and uh, kind of changing things on the fly. McNeil, of course, was replaced by Scotty Bowman and Al was reassigned by the Canadians to be the general manager and coach of their American Hockey League farm team, the Voyagers, which will play next season in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And speaking of Al McNeil, he actually went to Halifax this week to scout out, I guess, places to live and things like that. And he told reporters out there, according to Canadian Press, that he could have stayed on as coach of the Canadians had he, quote, pressed the issue. Al told the Canadian Press he was happy to be with the Nova Scotia Voyageurs. He said, this is a good organization and I'll be getting in on the ground floor. Al said that the Voyageurs have got the cream of the young players coming into Canadians organization. He said, if the young guys that are drafted don't stay with Canadians, they'll be playing in Halifax and that will be a very good thing and probably a pretty good team for the Voyageurs and the fans in Halifax. We told you about the two head honchos of the Toronto Maple Leafs being arrested last week on theft and fraud charges. Well, C. Stafford Smythe and Harold Ballard made a brief court appearance this week before Provincial Judge P.J. Bowlesby at Old City Hall, and they were remanded out of custody until July 
16th. Smythe, who's 51 and president of Maple Leaf Gardens Limited. Ballard is executive vice president of the gardens. They were released on $50,000 bail each after their arrest last week by the Toronto Police Fraud Squad detectives. The men were accompanied by only one lawyer. Neither of the accused nor their solicitor spoke a word during that short court appearance. Special Prosecutor Clayton Powell of the Attorney General's Department simply said that he and counsel for the accused had agreed on the remand date before the hearing. Smythe and Ballard are charged jointly with the theft of $146,000 in cash and securities from Maple Leaf Gardens between 1964 and 1969. Smythe is also charged with defrauding the gardens of $249,000 during the same time period. Ballard is also charged with defrauding the gardens of $83,000 between 1965 and 1969 as well. There was some very, very sad news this week in the hockey world. Mrs. Catherine Howe, 76, the mother of Detroit Red Wing superstar Gordie Howe, died Friday after a fall while visiting Howe's summer home near Grayling in Calabasca County in Michigan. A resident of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Mrs. Howe and her husband Albert had been visiting their son and his family since last month when they attended a surprise banquet honoring Howe in Oshawa, Ontario. Mrs. Howe was pronounced dead by a county coroner, David Wolfe, who said an autopsy would be performed to determine the exact cause of death. He said Mrs. Howe may have suffered a heart attack before her fall. Besides her husband, Mrs. Howe is survived by nine children, 33 grandchildren, and six great-grandchildren. Mrs. Howe's body will be taken to the Saskatoon Funeral Home in Saskatoon. Visitation will be Sunday and Monday evening, and services would be held in the Funeral Home Chapel at 1.30 p.m. On Monday. On a slightly more positive note for Gordy Howe, we learned this week that he had been awarded the Order of Canada. That's a Canadian citizen's highest award given by the government for exemplary conduct and great contributions to Canadian society. And along with a host of other Canadians that year, Gordy Howe joins that illustrious group. Some nice news out of the Ontario Hockey Association this week. As everyone knows, Billy Harris took over as coach of the Hamilton Red Wings during last season. By all accounts, Billy did a pretty good job with what he had to work with, with the Junior A Red Wings. And he ended up taking over as the head coach and manager, I think it is, of the Swedish national team. So that left a coaching vacancy in 
Hamilton. Well, that vacancy was filled this week. A consistent winner as a player and coach was named to coach the Red Wings this week. He is Harry Neal, a Toronto Marlboros graduate, and he's going to take over from Billy Harris. Neal is 34, he's a native Sarnia, and the appointment was announced by the Red Wing owner Nick Durbano, whose son recently was drafted by the New York Rangers in the NHL amateur draft. Now this doesn't come just out of the blue. Harry Neal has been around the hockey community in Toronto it seems forever. He's a partner in the Billy Harris Dave Keon Hockey School and he was with the Marlies when they won the Memorial Cup in 1956-57. He made the OHA Junior A League's first all-star team the following season. Harry then played for the University of Toronto Blues when they won the Intercollegiate Championship in 59-60 and the following term he was the U of T's most valuable player. This could be the beginning of quite a career for Harry Neal if he wants to continue in coaching. Now this is a very curious news item only because of what was actually going on in the background and what none of us as hockey fans were being told. But this week National Hockey League President Clarence Campbell was in Long Island, New York, and he dined with a fellow by the name of Bill Shea. Now, who's Bill Shea? Do you know the stadium where the New York Mets play, Shea Stadium? That's named after him. Bill Shea is the guy who got the Mets into the National League just a few years after the New York Giants absconded to California. Bill is also the advisor to Nassau Coliseum, the new NHL quality arena being built on Long Island. And Campbell and Shea were talking about the National Hockey League putting a team in that nice shiny new rink. Now normally this would be ah uh, nothing to see here. Guys are talking about putting team somewhere everywhere, but it's un we're understanding that Campbell is very receptive to a team in Long Island. Why is this a huge departure from the business as usual with the NHL? Because Long Island is in the New York Rangers territorial uh, district and they would have to pay big bucks to the Rangers and the Rangers could block having a team in Long Island. So why would the NHL suddenly do an about face on, on this uh, type of issue that they've been very, very uh, consistent and solid on throughout their history. Uh, just remember the trouble that the Buffalo Sabres had trying to put a team there with the Maple Leafs claiming an infringement on their territory, and they're in a different damn country. Well, something was going on here, and we figured out what it was. Took a couple days, though. I you remember last week we told you about the rumors and talk about a rival league that was in the planning stages, a rival major hockey league that would be a, uh, uh, a challenge to the National Hockey League? Well, that story this week, a couple days after Campbell's meeting, became much more concrete with a formal press release out of, of all places, Hollywood, Florida. United Press International reported that an organization known as the World Hockey Association has been formed with the intention of operating a 14-team major league of professional hockey starting 
in the 1972-73 season, and that story was broken by the Hollywood, Florida, Sun Tatler. The Sun Tatler said it had learned that the prime movers in the organization are Gary Davidson of Santa Ana, California, and Dennis Murphy, who hails from Miami, Florida. Both are among the founders of the American Basketball Association. The newspaper said that the league intends to compete directly against the National Hockey League for talent and they have already granted franchises to groups in Los Angeles, New York, Miami, Honolulu, geez, I hope I could get to play for that team, and Milwaukee. He said the organization is dickering with other groups in Baltimore, Boston, Louisville, Greensboro, North Carolina, Columbus, Ohio, Hartford, Connecticut, New Jersey, Indiana, Atlanta, Winnipeg, Ottawa, and Quebec City. And get this, they're also considering having European teams in the not-too-distant future. The Sun Tattler also said that Davidson would be the chairman of the board of directors of the new organization and Murphy will be assistant to the commissioner who has not yet been named. It said the organization has been incorporated in the state of Delaware, but as its headquarters would eventually be in Los Angeles. Although for the present, they're going to operate out of Davidson's law office, which is in Santa Ana. Applicants for the league are required, the newspaper said, to post $25,000 in earnest money plus a $200,000 bond. And they have to give evidence of having $2 million of liquid cash to invest in their hockey team. Davidson told a local paper in Santa Ana that the league has several commitments from franchises now and they have several more parties interested in the franchises but he would not say exactly what the commitment was Davidson told the Santa Ana paper that he and his partner Dennis Murphy who is a Buena Park public relations man he recently resigned as a general manager of the American Basketball Association Miami franchise and the two plan to operate the flagship franchise of the league in Los Angeles, Long Beach, or Honolulu. This is going to be an interesting story, and we're going to follow this very closely. It'll be very interesting to see if the NHL gives these guys any credibility, or if they sit back and make the same mistake the NFL did with the AFL, and what the NBA did with the ABA, and let them get off to a rousing start. We'll see. I can't for the life of me figure out what Clarence Campbell was doing this week. He came out this week, he put out the idea that the Boston Bruins might not be able to afford signing both Phil Esposito and Bobby Orr to new contracts. The Bruins without one of those two guys simply won't be the Bruins. But Campbell cites rising costs around the league, thanks of course to the National Hockey League Players Association, and he says it's due to the small seating capacity of the Bruins' home rink, Venerable Boston Garden. Campbell suggested the Bruins might face a cash crunch this year, and they're going to have to sell off one of those superstars in order to keep the rest of the team more or less together. 
Campbell was making his statements at one of the many golf tournaments that hockey personalities are engaged in at this time of the year. This was in Toronto. Well, the Boston Bruins were not happy, understandably, with the NHL head honcho's uh, remarks about their hockey team. The Bruins released this statement uh, in the aftermath of Campbell's comments. The Bruins management wishes to make it clear at this time in reference to Toronto Press Stories that number one, it has no intention of making changes in the playing roster at this time and if any changes are made in the future, they will be made to strengthen the team and most certainly not for financial considerations. Number two, the salary figures reported are inaccurate and bear no relation to the figures discussed between the parties that were mentioned, meaning, of course, Esposito or and the Bruins. Number three, no contract with Bob Orr has been finalized. Number four, when any major contract is concluded, there will be either a press conference or press release to announce the signing. And number five, the Bruins appreciate the concern of others, but firmly believe that they are perfectly capable of conducting their own business and further will adhere to their policy that negotiations between management and the players, insofar as salaries are concerned, are personal matters between the parties. Well, the speculation that the Bruins would sell off centerpieces of their high-powered offense added to the fact they were upset by the Canadians in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs led a lot of writers to speculate that the team might actually shift its philosophy to a more defensive-oriented game. Well, that didn't sit too well with the man at the center of all this discussion. That, of course, is Bruins superstar Phil Esposito. Will McDonough is one of the best sports writers in North America at this time. He writes for the Boston Globe, and he got to Esposito, and they talked about this uh, change in philosophy or proposed change. And uh, Will came out with this story. Uh, it should be old hat now, but the memory lingers and will until the Bruins bring, bring back the Stanley Cup to Boston one more time. I think about losing the Stanley Cup a lot, said Phil Esposito in his hockey school in Weymouth. He was back on skates for the first time since that disastrous Sunday when the Canadians whacked the Bruins right out of the playoffs in the seventh game. Phil says, you know, I never thought we were in trouble until the last minute of the seventh game and losing by two goals. Up to that point, Phil says, the thought of not winning the Stanley Cup again never even entered his mind. Phil said, since then, all I keep thinking of to myself is that I blew 10 grand, 10 grand, and I let it get away. Now, Phil's talking like he's holding himself personally responsible for what happened, but this is not at all what he meant. Phil said, I think the credit should go to Montreal for beating us instead of the Bruins being ridiculed for losing. Give them credit. They did a hell of a job. Or rather, give Ken Dryden all the credit because he was the difference. The rest of the Montreal team played the same way they did all year. Dryden, though, was just fantastic. 
Esposito went on to point out that the Bruins outshot the Canadians in every game except one, and yet the Habs still managed to beat them. In the last game, Phil said he must have had at least 10 shots on goal himself, and Dryden got every one of them, many in spectacular fashion. Phil still thinks, however, that the team he plays for, the Bruins, is the best team in hockey, and it will be for some time to come. This is why he was surprised to see the stories out of the winter meetings in Montreal, and that actually should be summer meetings. I don't know how that got in there, but that's what uh, Will McDonough wrote. The summer meetings, the stories came out that the Bruins planned to change their style of play. Phil says, listen, I'll do anything that Tommy Johnson and Milt Schmidt want me to. They're the management of this team, and I'll play the games their way. But Phil didn't finish there. He says, speaking as an individual, he thinks it would be a serious mistake to change the Bruins' style of play. To his mind, uh, their team last year was the best team ever to play in the NHL, and he says, we got that way because of our style of play. Esposito says that in the playoffs, the Bruins did alter that style of play, that hell-bent for leather offensive style, and that's why they lost. He says, maybe we should have kept going all out offensively like we did during the season. Heck, we only lost 14 games all year. Esposito says that people talk about the, the Bruins' bad defense. Well... He points out that the Bruins finished third in the league behind New York and Chicago in goals against. How bad could that defense be if they can manage to do that? They're better than 11 other NHL teams, isn't it? Phil then sums up his reasons for the way he feels, saying, you take the number of goals scored for, combine it with our good defensive figures, and Phil says, I don't see any reason to change our style. Phil, though, does think that there will be changes with the Bruins. Phil said he was happy that the Bruins didn't make any big changes at the, at the summer meetings, but he said, I still got a hunch, though, that the Bruins are going to make a couple of trades before the summer's over. We got too much talent around that isn't playing. We've got to do something with it. Now, Phil says that that's just a guess on his part, but a couple of trades before next season certainly would not be any surprise to Phil Esposito. As of this week, Phil still hadn't signed his 1971-72 contract, but he said that he didn't think he would have any problems getting uh, coming to an agreement with the Bruins. He said that the team and him were still far apart on money, but he honestly felt that there won't be any problems because the Bruins have all always been fair with them in the past and he thinks they'll continue to be fair with them now. Asked about what kind of contract he's looking for from the Bruins, uh, Phil would only say I'd like a long-term deal because I think it would be better for both sides but if they don't give me what I want I'll just sign for a year even though it'll be hard to bargain that way. Phil's point is that he's coming off a 76 goal year that isn't likely to be duplicated by anyone for a long time to come. Phil says, I was just in the perfect situation to score all those goals. I don't think I would have scored 70 goals playing for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and he's right there. Phil said the key to the Boston attack is the way the defenseman can carry the puck. He says the Bruins have more attacking men than any team has ever had, and that's why they have such a great offense. 
at the NHL Players Golf Tournament, the NHLPA Golf Tournament, Woodbridge, Ontario, the Board of Trade Country Club. That's where they have it every every year, just north of Toronto. And that's where Clarence Campbell made the uh, statements about the Bruins maybe not being able to keep both uh, Phil Esposito and Bobby Orr. Well, the question was asked by Francis Rosa, who writes for the Boston Globe, how much is Bobby Orr really worth when he goes for a contract? And here are some of the answers that he received. Derek Sanderson says Bobby is worth every cent he can get. Gump Worsley says Bobby Orr is worth whatever he thinks he's worth. Can't argue with that. Bruins goalie Eddie Johnson, who has the pleasure of playing behind Orr, uh, as a goaltender myself, I can't imagine ever having been able to play behind a defenseman like that. Well, Eddie Johnson says at least $1 million over a five-year period. In other words, two hundred grand a year. But Rod Bear, who was nearby, chirped in and said, he's worth more than that. Perhaps the best answer by a hockey personality as to what Bobby Orr was worth came from Jim Pappen of the Blackhawks. I don't think you can measure it, Jim said. Maybe he meant you just can't count that high. We do know this at this point in the summer. Bob Yor's contract expired on June 1st. He has not yet to this point in time signed another NHL contract. And of course, neither did Phil Esposito, as we mentioned. Those two guys are going to be signing contracts, no doubt about it, probably within the next month. We'll see what they get and we'll see if the Bruins can afford it. We we know what happened, but I had the feeling back then neither of these two guys would be leaving the Boston Bruins. That would be just folly. Guys are in uh, the hockey business, the owners of these teams, because they make a lot of money, and a lot of money they do make. They'll just take a little bit less because in the long run, these guys are going to put even more money in those guys' pockets. So that's this week's show, everyone. Now, we managed to get some hockey news in the dead of the summer, the first weeks of the summer in June. And what did we learn this week? Well, we learned that the American Hockey League formally admitted a new Sabres farm team to be located in Cincinnati, Ohio. We learned that Phil Esposito had some thoughts on the Bruins changing their style of play to try and uh, maybe save money, try and match the Canadians. Uh, And that was all a mid-talk that the team couldn't even afford to keep he and Bobby Orr. And we learned a little bit more about the formation of the rival major hockey league to be known as the World Hockey Association. We will be back with another show next week. And some of the stories we're working on, well, we'll have all the results of the National Hockey League Players Association Annual Golf Tournament, which, as we mentioned, is at Woodbridge, Ontario. We will get a ruling from the Supreme Court of Canada as to whether Stafford Smythe's income tax evasion case will be thrown out because of the challenge uh, based on the Bill of Rights by his lawyers saying that Smythe's rights under the bill have been infringed upon. We'll see what the Supreme Court says about that. And we have a story about a Detroit Red Wing veteran, not named Gordy Howe or Alex Dalvecchio, who has a good idea about who should be coaching that team. And we'll tell you what that idea is and some other comments 
that this veteran has. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole. He does a wonderful job for us. I can't thank him enough. If you need a podcast, want to get something started, need somebody to produce it for you, get a hold of me. I'll put you in contact with Andy and maybe you guys can get together. The very popular Juno-nominated Toronto Indie Rock Group, the Rural Alberta Advantage, uh, they provide our introduction music. And if you ever get a chance to see them live, they put on a great high-energy show. They will be doing some shows in Alberta later this summer, we understand. Other musical pieces in our show and the sound effects are produced by Andy Cole as well. Our research comes from files in the Toronto Star, Toronto Globe and Mail, and of course, all the fine publications at newspapers.com. You can find us on Twitter at at Hockey50Years, on Facebook under the 50 Years Ago in Hockey banner. We have a WordPress site, Hockey50YearsAgo.com, and of course, every week on the Hockey Podcast Network. Thanks again to everyone who tunes into our show, and on that note, we will see you next time. When the ice